Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Today we have finally come to the section in the First Corinthians in which uh, Paul basically wraps up and summarizes and concludes this whole section in which he's been talking about the issue of sex, sexual sin, sexual purity, sexual integrity, topics like marriage, singleness, remarriage, and even that of the gift of celibacy. And you know, by now I think you're pretty tired of just hearing about the theme of sex, marriage, and celibacy. So I want to share with you the good news that today we are going to wrap it up. But the way Paul has been addressing all these issues are very interesting. Paul does not come from the perspective of a super spiritual approach. He comes from a very down-to-earth approach. And we will learn today perhaps what kind of context he was writing in, because within that context, he was being very, very practical. He's being pragmatic-minded. In today's term, he's being commonsensical about it. He's talking about something that is realistic, something that is very much related to the context of his days. And so today, I want to um, give you some final words that are related to this whole area of uh, sexuality and the context of marriage and celibacy. First, I want to go back to last week's message, the theme of contentment, that the Lord is calling us to be content. There is a call upon us to be content in the present, to be faithful in the given status or position. And Paul continues in that spirit as he now talks about this issue that he's going to talk about in this section. So let us read from chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 25 all the way to verse 28a. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So Paul is now saying that this is not really particular words from the Lord Jesus did not address every situation and provided words and instructions for every context. But he says, even though it is not actually a command from the Lord, I give a judgment as one who is trustworthy, as an apostle. I'm operating with an apostolic authority and I'm sharing these words. And then he mentions, because of the present crisis, in verse 26, 
And somehow, historically and culturally speaking, there was some kind of crisis that he was aware of. And I'll talk about that in a little while. But for now, let us just understand that Paul is writing in context. He's always writing in context. All his letters are written in what we call ad hoc situations. That is, at the moment. Because something practical needs to be addressed. And certain answers and solutions need to be given to the problems that all of these churches, the early churches, were experiencing. So Paul was always writing in context, and that's very important. But in any context that is given to us, in any situation in our life, any position, any status, any geographical location, whatever it may be, the Lord is saying through Paul that we must be content in the present moment. And we need to be found faithful in the given status, whether we are married, whether we are single, whether we are engaged, whatever the situation may be, be faithful in that situation. And then he addresses the whole issue of marriage once again, and he basically wants to say that there's a tremendous challenge and burden to marriage. That's reality. Anyone who's married, anyone who has a family, we know, we know what a burden it is, what troubles we're going to have, what costs we must be willing to pay to make that marriage and make the family work. And this is exactly what Paul is addressing in the next section here. In verses 28b to 32a, let us read this out loud together. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. So Paul says in verse 28, But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And those who have been married for many, many years, after they've gone through all the trials and difficulties of marriage, whether they have been successful in marriage or they have failed in marriage, out of their wisdom, they might say, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. It's a tremendous challenge. It's going to cost you a lot. Are you prepared for this? Do you have it? What it takes? And so the reality is that in marriage and family, there's this extra burden of really communicating well, having the relational dynamic, having the finances in place, providing for the nurture and education of their children. And of course, more than anything, as a man of the house, I'm very much concerned about the safety and the health of my family members. All these are constant burdens in our minds. 
But in addition to that, Paul is saying in verse 29, the time is short. And in verse 31, this world in the present form is passing away. He's referring to this present crisis. What was the crisis that he might be aware of? Because something like 15 years later, after he writes this letter to the Corinthians, the Jerusalem, the city, sort of like the, the foundational city upon which all this biblical history revolves around, is going to be destroyed by the Romans. And already the Romans are oppressing Jews and the Christians, and, and there's tremendous amount of persecution going on. And along with this, I believe that Paul, in the earlier days, as when he was writing the letters to the Corinthians, or to the church in Thessalonica, he perhaps had a theology of the imminent coming of the Lord. That with all these kind of calamities and turmoils happening in the world around them, in the Roman Empire, and how Caesar persecuting the Christians in such creating such havoc for the Christians, he felt that Jesus had to come to save the day. Jesus had to come to redeem this situation. So maybe all of this theology was at, at play. As all of you know, if you're really very heightened in terms of eschatology about the end times, like some Christians today, and with the pandemic, so many people have thought that the end is near. And with what is happening with uh, technology today, that technology is taking over, the digital technology, cyberspace, the virtual reality, alternate reality, and, and all, and metaverse, they're talking about that. Some Christians really feel like the end is here. With that notion, in that state of crisis or emergency, you could imagine what Paul is talking about here. He's saying in a situation like this, we can't get distracted and lose focus. We can't afford to lose a heart of devotion to the Lord. We have to do everything possible to mobilize ourselves, mobilize the Christians around us. The church has to really focus on Jesus Christ. And therefore, in verse 29, he says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. This does not mean forfeit your status of marriage, but it does mean that you cannot maximize all the joy that comes from marriage. You have to operate in married status with a sense of modesty. And in verse 30, he says, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not. We have to have our emotions under control, our sanity under control. We can't just let every wind of situations to, to affect us. We have to have this composure during this time of mourning and even during the times of happiness. And Paul also says those who buy something as if 
it were not theirs to keep. Let's not get all materialistic and trying to, you know, save up for the rainy days and everything's so secure in terms of finance. Even that is unpredictable with what is happening. That's what he's saying. And then he says, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. I guess today he would say all the technology that we have, all the tools that we have, all the resources that we have, let's not get so engrossed in them. Let's not get so fixated by them. That's not going to save us. We are looking for the Savior who is to come and to truly deliver us from our situations. So, in the midst of all of this kind of situations that's happening, Paul is saying marriage is going to be a very difficult thing. In other words, there may be some disadvantages to being married. So think very seriously about this matter before you plunge into marriage. But on the other hand, regarding singleness, he thinks this is a grand opportunity. This is great freedom that is given to the singles. They are very privileged in that crisis situation. In that era when things are going so bad. There's so much persecutions upon Christians. There are so many troubles in the society. Perhaps it is better to be single, Paul is saying. Let's look at verses 32b to verse 35. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So he is definitely making a comparison between singleness and marriage. And he is biased here, no doubt about that, because he is a single man. He realizes the freedom and the liberty that he has to 100% be devoted to the Lord and his cause. And so he's saying that the singers have some advantages. And married people have some disadvantages. Now that's in context. Personally for me, I see so much advantages that came from my marriage and having a family. But what if the situation was different? What if I were to live in the first century when the Christianity was being persecuted by the Roman Empire? When there's going to be a dispersion of the Jewish community and that whole center called Jerusalem is going to be all dispersed because the Romans are going to destroy the city. Perhaps the way I think about life, perhaps I think about even marriage and having a family, that perspective may change. And Paul talks about the advantage that a single man has. A single man will be concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Of course, because he doesn't have anybody else to care of, take care of. And as I mentioned earlier, that in the early church days, the bishops 
before they instituted celibacy and enforced celibacy for priesthood, the bishops, they felt free that the priests or the ministers of the gospel are free to marry except for themselves because they needed to roam and, and do all kinds of itinerant ministries. And so they can't be bound at home. They can't be bound with the family. So Paul himself being a single man, he says, I could do everything to focus on the Lord and to please the Lord and 100% concentrate on the Lord's affairs. But the married, they are concerned about the affairs of this world, how they can please their wives. And in that sense, their interests will be divided. And I really understand this. I really understand this. Even though I may want to do something that will require me to take liberty and just, just a radical step out there to go to the nations. What about my family? Who's going to provide for my family? Who's going to protect them and nurture them? So my heart is divided. Regarding the virgins, he says, they're concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. It's not just the issue of the heart. It's not just the matter of the spirit. It's also your body, bodily. You're limited. Body, time, energy, and just the geographical location of your being is limited. He's being very practical-minded about this. But then he says, married woman, she's concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband, and therefore she will be divided in her heart and devotion to the Lord. And in verse 35, Paul says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. What is he trying to get at? The whole idea behind Paul's exhortation and instruction, his words of guideline, is simply this. He doesn't want anybody to be distracted from giving full devotion to the Lord. That's the priority that he wants to establish. Full devotion unto the Lord. Undivided attention to the Lord. Having said that, Paul still operates with a lot of pragmatism. He's very commonsensical about the advice that he is giving. Let's look at verses 36 to 38. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Okay. And I think by now we are familiar with the fact that Apostle Paul is always leaning towards celibacy. He believes that singleness has its own advantage in this Christ situation. But at the same time, 
he's not discounting marriage at all. He's saying that's legit, and that is a blessing of God. And if you have a calling in that area of marriage and family, then you need to abide by that. And so he is being very commonsensical about his advice here. Well, his exhortation uh, for the singles to get married, when, in verse 36a, when they're worried that they might not be acting honorably toward the virgins that they're engaged to. What does this mean? You're engaged and you are romantically attracted to your partner and uh, you don't know whether you can control yourself. Sexual desire. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He feels that this is the time. I, I can't uh, hold myself back. I think I need to express my love and passion to this woman that God has given me. Then Paul says, go right ahead. Even though it may be a time of crisis, it's just very common sense good that you need to get married instead of falling into temptation and committing some kind of fornication. But then he speaks to those who are going to be single-minded and that is they're going to continue to be celibate. He says those are the persons who have settled the matter in their own minds. They have made up their minds not to marry. And they are under no compulsion, but has control over his will or her will. So this is the criterion for celibacy. You have to have solid sense of resolve and determination in your mind. It's a matter of your will. A matter of your core. What is really happening inside? Are you disturbed? Are you turbulent in your heart and mind? Then you should really think about marriage. But if you're not, you don't have any issue with any problem with that, then you shouldn't force yourself to marry out of obligation or under the pressure of others like parents and friends and people around you. So in verse 38, he says, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. But the real issue that Paul wants to get at, and this is how it ends this section, is that it's the matter of priority that he wants to get at. And this is what he wants to focus upon. Let's look at verses 39 and verse 40. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. First of all, he says, there is this vow that you have made. Vow to God. Vow before the sight of other witnesses. The vow that you have made to that partner and you have entered into this, this covenant of marriage, then you are bound. You're bound by that covenant vow. 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. This is for life. And that's the vow that we took when we got married. Whether it be life or death, until death, we do not part. Whether it be health or sickness, whether it be wealth or poverty, there's no condition attached to this. When we enter into that vow, we enter into it for life. Unless, as Paul says, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Only way you can be set free from that vow if, is if your partner, your spouse, dies. And then you're free. But are you free to do anything, however, whoever you want to marry? No. He places a condition on this. He says, but the person that you're going to marry or remarry must now belong to the Lord. In verse 39c, belong to the Lord. And here it is literally only in the Lord. She could marry only in the Lord. That means the man has to have the Lord. Man has to belong to the Lord. The man has to also be in the Lord. Don't make the same mistake twice. For those who have married an unbeliever, or rather, both were unbelievers and she became a believer. And she's been struggling over this issue. How are we going to have a family that's going to be a believing family? And there's no answer or solution to this. But her dilemma is relieved when her husband dies. So she says, wow, now I can marry anyone that I wishes. But Paul says, but is your priority of marrying a man of God? Because if you marry a man of God, then your family can be a family of God. If not, you go back to the same old way of operation and all the troubles that come with that. So the priority that Paul is establishing here is that Everything must be done to enhance our faith in Christ. Whether it be in the context of marriage, or the context of singleness, or in the context of remarriage. Think about it. Where are you? Be content with that. But take that situation and take it onto a higher plane of faith. And so he's being very pragmatic about this. Are you going to have gain in the Lord or are you going to have loss? So with this kind of freedom that we have, whether as a single person or if your spouse has died and now you're free to remarry, Paul is basically saying along with freedom comes accountability. That freedom is not a, just a free-for-all type of freedom. It is freedom with condition. There's going to be always an accountability regarding your faith in Christ and enhancing of faith in Christ. So again here, Paul is leaning towards singleness and the freedom that this status can provide. 
so that we would avoid the distraction from giving our full devotion to the Lord. So in verse 40, he says, In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay, now I'm going to wrap it all up by giving you a list of guidelines from all that we have studied thus far regarding the status of being married or unmarried or being single or remarried, whatever it may be, this is what Paul is trying to say to us. First of all, he's saying, do not make hasty decisions under pressure, especially under extreme influence of those ascetics or the legalists and sometimes even the libertinistic-minded people. Because they all have their opinions. They all have their biases. And they're pressuring you. Paul had a bias too. He was a single man, so of course he's going to have a high view of celibacy. And yet, he restrains himself. And he says it's okay if you want to be married. If you feel that it is time to marry, if you have such a passion to marry, then it's okay to marry. So, do not make a hasty decision under pressure. Number two, be content with the present status or position. Accept the situation with humility and faithfulness. In marriage, be faithful. In your singleness, be faithful. In your remarriage, be faithful. Are you engaged? Be faithful until you get married or not married. Number three, do not get distracted from your focus on the Lord. The most important thing is your heart's devotion to the Lord. In whatever we do, whatever choices we make in life, make sure that the Lord is the priority. All things are focused and aligned towards Him. And you must ask this question, especially those who are single. By marrying this person, am I going to have gain in the Lord? Or is it going to be a minus for me in the Lord? It's a simple question that you need to ask. And you'll probably find an answer as to whether you should marry this person or not. Is this a gain? Is this a plus? Is this going to be a spiritual blessing for my future and my family's future? Number four, always operate with a sense of sanctified common sense. Being spiritual does not mean throwing our mind, our conscience, our common sense is out the window. And sometimes we Christians, we tend to be so dualistic, thinking, well, it's, it's what the Spirit desires. As though our spirit can be dichotomized from our body. It cannot. It's all packaged as one. So we need to ask some questions like this. In our decision-making, in our way of operation, is this particular issue and the answer and remedy for this issue, is it practical? Is it realistic? Or very simply, is it something that I can handle? Do I have that with which I can manage this? Can I manage a family? 
Can I manage a spouse? Can I manage rebellious teenage kids? Or the reverse, can I manage being single for the rest of my life? Can I manage that loneliness? Can I manage that sexual temptation? And the important things along with this is learning how to contextualize. It's always contextual. So what context am I talking about? Then finally, always establish the priority as the priority matter. As Paul says, only in the Lord, monon and creo, only in the Lord. I love that term, only in the Lord. There are no exceptions. There are no buts about it. There are no secondary priorities. It's the primary priority that we must give unto the Lord. That means we have to ask all things, in all things, is it only in the Lord? Only in the Lord. So I hope that you benefited from this series of talks that's related to this broad spectrum of topics, all the way from the topic of sex, sexual sin, sexual purity, sexual integrity, to the specific topics of marriage, singleness, remarriage, and celibacy. And we have come to the same conclusion that Paul comes to in practically every context or every situation in life. He says, do all things in the Lord. And in this case, he says, only in the Lord. That is the guiding principle for all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.